Welcome to the Gambling Gauchos. I'm Rob Bro. He's Kyle Jacobson. He's Money Mainville. Got a loaded show for you today. A comeback of the century, at least uh, since Iowa State in Lubbock, uh, what, a year ago? Maybe to the day, I don't remember. But it was a, a very good comeback here against BYU. We'll talk about that. Uh, we have a big game boomer reference. He was in Lubbock. We'll talk about uh, Texas Tech versus Wyoming football as well here on the show today. Money, Kyle, how you guys doing? Better than ever. I need a SIG after that divisional game. Man, what an incredible uh, two games, really. Uh, that Baker-Lions game was pretty good, too. Uh, good game. Good week of game. Good weekend of games. All the games were good. It was nice. Uh, all right, let's 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 start with the Chiefs. It just happened. This is fresh in our minds. Uh, worst call, running a sweep from inside the four with McCole Hardman or a fake punt down three to give the ball to Patrick Mahomes inside the 35 with DeMar Hamlin, who's not touched the ball at all this year. He's a safety, and he hardly plays defense either. You know, President George W. Bush once said, fool me once, shame on, shame on you. Fool me, can't get fooled again. You give the ball to McCole Hardman the first time in the red zone. It's like, okay, maybe that's an honest scope. He fumbles, you stall out, you leave four points on the board. To do it again on like the play, the dagger play, where you could have gone up 10 with five and a half minutes left, is just borderline tarmac for Andy Reid. And I know he's won a bunch. I think he's lost his fastball a little bit. I think he's kind of being dragged along at this point. That was stupid. The fake punt, I can almost respect it. Like you're, he said, coming out of halftime, which by the way, coaching interviews in the middle of the game are pointless, but he was like, yeah, I got to make plays. Uh, we're going all in. So like he's using every arrow in his quiver to try and win the game. Wasn't a good call. Wasn't well executed. But I think that the, going back to the well on Nicole Hardman in the red zone has to be worse. Certainly bad, especially when you have Pacheco twice to end the game and ice it with a first down. Just do that. Just run the base. Coaches get so fancy in the red zone. Um, not everyone, but certainly Andy Reid. Uh, let's say the Chiefs, let's just not, we're not jinxing anything. Ain't no curses. Let's say the Chiefs ride off into the sunset here, win the Super Bowl. Andy Reid retires. Who's the head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs next year? Matt Nagy? I think, I think money knows that Cliff Kingsbury's agent would float his name for that job. Oh, he would certainly be floated. We got a connection. Could Patrick Mahomes that have that much pull? Would he if even he, want him? If you keep Spagnola, it's not the dumbest thing I've heard. Certainly not the smartest, but uh, we'll see. Andy Reid's getting up there. And if you've been three Super Bowls in, in four or five years, that's that's got to be on the bucket list to, to have retire on the top. I'll put my money where my mouth is. If Vrabel is still available, I would take him in Kansas City. A defensive guy. Just let Patrick own the offense and, and go all in on the defense to win a couple more. That's what, uh, that's what Brady did. Well, he did it kind of backwards. He won with defense and then with offense. Well, he lost all his offensive Super Bowls. I, I don't know, man. I mean, I think if if Rabel if Rabel is able to 
I'm a poet and I didn't know it. If Vrabel is willing and able to cede some control of the offense and like work with the front office to say, this is the offensive personnel we have. This is what we're trying to do. This would be a good coordinator fit. And he can be the CEO and the defensive brains of the operation. I, I think that could work well. Certainly not trying to get rid of Andy Reid, and you have to win two more games to get there, but yeah. just a conversation. Uh, Colson says hire B enemy away from Washington. Uh, no, I, I don't. I, I don't think. I don't think Patrick and B enemy have a good working relationship. Well, like half the teams in the NFL. Is he employed with Washington? Yeah. Because they had the the coaching change. I didn't know if he was still there. Oh, I don't know. Like half the teams in the NFL had a chance to hire Eric Bieniemy, and all of them passed on it. Yeah, for like three straight seasons, they were begging somebody else to hire him, and they nobody would. Yeah, uh, I don't think he makes his return. Uh, anyways, Kansas City back in the AFC Championship game. Go Chiefs from North Dakota. What's up, Mad Dog? Uh, Patrick Mahomes has never not played in an AFC Championship game. His first year. He goes as the the all-world breakout star, wins the Super Bowl in his first season, loses in the second, uh, misses a Super Bowl, goes back, wins another one. That's the four seasons. Five straight AFC Championship games. He missed, I guess he missed the first Super Bowl, sorry. He got beat by the Patriots in his first season and then went on the run. But still, six straight AFC Championships. Unreal. And this uh, breaks the Andy Reid Eagles streak, I believe, of five straight with uh, the Eagles there in the early 2000s. And the two AFC Championship game losses were both in overtime. They were. He's never lost in regulation in an AFC Championship game. Opening line, Ravens minus three and a half. Hammer it. The Chiefs plus three and a half. Does that line get bigger? Man, what? What what the Chiefs could have done if they got uh, Zay Flowers in the first round? I'd have to go back and look at the drafts if that even was possible, but it probably wasn't. Didn't they draft McCole Hardman like two spots before DK Metcalf went off the board or something like that? Yeah, I mean, what I mean that was a bad pick. Maybe I, that I, was the maybe that was the Ceh pick. I can't remember. Yeah, but they they passed on uh, DK Metcalf. Brutal. They've made a lot of good draft picks in the last couple of years defensively, but like zero great offensive picks besides the offensive line. Creed Humphrey was nails. Um, the guard from Tennessee that fell like the sixth round. He was, he's been a great pick. Other than that, I mean, I guess you can say Rasheed Rice has been good. Uh, it took him a while to get his footing, but it was Isaiah Pacheco that led the way and he's also a draft pick so i guess that's the best draft pick they've made in the last five years as a skill position this isn't the chief's podcast so this will be my final thought on it and then we can move on but they have tried i guess it started with lamar jackson he had the mvp season in 2019 i believe and he was sort of like supposed to be the one and one a with mahomes and the two of them were the two hot shot young guns in the afc um they've still been pretty good even in like down years but this is, I think, their yeah. This is their first AFC title game under Lamar Jackson. Then it was Burrow, or it's kind of Allen and Burrow about simultaneously. Burrow, to his credit, has at least beaten Mahomes in the playoffs at Arrowhead and made it to a Super Bowl. Hasn't won one. He's five and one against Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. 
so what? I mean, uh, and then they tried to trump that up with Allen this year, and it's like he's three and zero against Allen in the playoffs. Allen hasn't. Uh, he's zero and one in AFC title games, and Mahomes, at least as far as active players, even if he loses the AFC title game next week, he'll have more appearances in the AFC title game than all other active quarterbacks in the AFC combined. So there's no there's no one A to Mahomes being one right now. Like somebody has to get to and win a Super Bowl to for there to even be a conversation. And even then, in my opinion, having two of them is so much more significant than having one. That like. He has such a head start on these guys. There's no, they're all playing for second place, and it's a distant second place. Let's tie this back into the Big 12 because you could argue we are a Big 12 podcast. There is another Big 12 quarterback in the mix here in the playoffs still, uh, Brock Purdy. Um, Brock Purdy versus Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl would be certainly Cyclone Larry's Super Bowl. Um, I don't know that Iowa State fans could contain themselves if Brock Purdy made it, and uh, he likely will. But Jared Goff, Brock Purdy are the two last standing in the NFC versus Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes. Quarterback-wise, it's the AFC Super Bowl to lose. Um, But, man, the Niners are good. The Lions are well-coached. Obviously, the Ravens, Jim Harbaugh, John Harbaugh, has had a lot of success in his career. Um, and Zach, very good comment. The Chiefs could take any setting, not any, but a sitting head coach in the NFL. That's probably true, uh, especially a guy maybe at a stale position. Like, I don't know, Sean McVay, if they wanted to pull him over. I would love to see Sean McVay with a, a talented quarterback. Not to say that Matt Stafford's not talented, but that would be awesome. Uh, all right, Money, let's talk a little basketball. Uh one word for that game on Saturday or as many words as you want. Wild. Uh, just completely. It felt like I watched two different basketball games. Like that's really the best way I can describe it. First 20 minutes, just not a lot going your way. I think after the Houston game, you probably wanted to come out with some juice and you start in a 10 deficit. That was definitely a little concerning. Um, their offense was just humming it seemed like you had a lid on the basket for most of that first half until things finally started to to turn the other way after the under eight. But I, I just can't remember a basketball game in my head that was so different from the first half and the second half. I mean, BYU's five out offense created a ton of problems for this defense in the first 20 minutes. And then they adjusted in the second half, really started kind of running their style of game. Pop Isaac's obviously a huge, huge factor on the offensive end. I thought he played great defense as well. Um, And then Warren Washington returning to form, I think, helped you out quite a bit as well. But overall, just a a wild game. I mean, that that was Kim Palm's number nine team in the country. A, A team is not a joke. They are that good, and they still have, you know, players on their bench who are recovering from injuries. And so I think that's going to be a BYU team that just keeps getting better, but to kind of swing that game in your favor after being down as much as 17 in the first half is pretty wild. I uh, hand up. I turn it back to the Texans game. <laughs> At the end of the half. I, uh, I was completely prepared to write this one off, move on uh, pop scores five to open the second half. I'm like, okay, well, you know, cut it to inside of 10, you have a chance. And then it kind of goes quickly. 
uh, as you start the comeback. Um, defensively, how did Texas Tech change the momentum, or was it just BYU missed a couple of shots and you took advantage? Yeah, I still haven't done my rewatch, and there wasn't really anything in particular that I saw live. I just think they started to not have as much rhythm with their spacing in the five out. Tech was either just defending better off the ball or BYU just simply wasn't able to get into their actions. But this is not the first time that BYU has been in control of a game and kind of let it slip out of hand. They had a big lead over Baylor, I'm pretty sure, and then... I think the Iowa State game was close um, and they would end up winning that game. But they have had some very comfortable leads that have gotten very uncomfortable as the second half has gone on. But overall, I think, you know, uh, Ali Khalifa, man, they're big man and what they're doing, their offense through him. I think they call it, they compared his passing to Jokic on the broadcast, which kind of made me cringe a little bit. But I understand what they were doing with that. You know, it is very similar to the Nuggets system in that, hey, we're going to let our very capable big man passer have the ball at the top of the key and hope that he can find open shooters. And that's exactly what they did for the first half. In the second half, they kind of started going down low some more. But I think you just caught BYU in a game where they just weren't shooting their best as the game went on. 50% in the first half, and you look at their numbers at the end of the game, and it just doesn't really seem like anybody was that hot. Spencer Johnson not having a great night. Richie Saunders only two for two from deep. Jackson Robinson two for ten. Uh, just a lot of guys that, you know, had that momentum in the first 20 minutes of the game, and it, it just kind of dissipated. Is that maybe a welcome to the Big 12 moment for BYU second half to where maybe BYU – in their previous basketball conference, hasn't seen a, an atmosphere like that down the stretch. Yeah, or even just like a, an adjustment or a punch in the mouth. Like every every team in this conference, with exception to maybe one, can get out of a crazy deficit like the one Tech was in and compete. Like for all 40 minutes of the basketball game, doesn't matter what the score is. There are a number of teams in this conference who have the athleticism, the talent, the ability to play these kind of games. And so first year in the B in the Big 12 for BYU, I think there's certainly something uh, for them to learn over their first couple of conference games. Um, but yeah, it certainly is a, a taste of the Big 12, how deep this conference is and how you've got to bring your best basketball for for 40 minutes or else there is absolutely nothing guaranteed. Kyle, um, Caleb Rogers, I know you're a big fan of Caleb Rogers, uh, led the, the halftime speech there with Tosh Brooks. How big of a difference does uh, Joey McGuire make in that game? I mean, I wasn't there, but it sounded like all those guys brought the energy and did make a difference. I think that was probably as close to a sellout as we've had at the USA in a while. All the shots I saw, even the upper bowl, looked really full. And you're right, it kind of felt like once you cut it to single digits, that's kind of when the crowd takes their cue of like, okay, we're in this thing. You know, you can even go on a quick 6-0 run if it's 17 and then cut it to 11 and it still kind of feels like you're not in it. But as soon as it gets to nine, there's something magic about that. You're like, all right, single digits. And we've said that. I mean, I, I said that it wasn't cope after the Houston loss. Like, it's so hard to go on the road in this conference. I forget what home teams are right now in conference play. 
the teams are even going to Morgantown and losing. And they're like the consensus 13th, 14th best team in the conference this year. And uh, they've got home wins over Kansas and Texas. So it's a huge advantage for Texas Tech when the crowd is into the, into the game and every seat is full. It's going to be a really hard place for anybody to win. And I think the analytics sort of reflect that. I think at worst you're a 52 53% chance to win even your toughest remaining home games uh, per BPI. I don't know what Ken Palm and some of the other ones say, but it wouldn't surprise me at all. Tell me what y'all think if we were favored every single home game from here on out, which is pretty significant. Yeah, even the Kansas game now, uh, after they lose on the road at West Virginia, which we can go down the line here with the rest of the conference real quick. Uh, on Saturday, West Virginia 91, Kansas 85. Just an unreal game from uh, Raekwon Battle, 23 points, nine boards. Houston 57-42 in a kind of a first-half game. <laughs> Just didn't have much. UCF scored 14 in the first half. Um, Texas beats Baylor. Top 10 Baylor at the Moody's Moody Center. And uh, they celebrated like, what? They just won a national championship. Rodney Terry, you're so mad about it. Uh, Oklahoma beat Cincinnati on the road. Big road win for Oklahoma. Iowa State on the road at TCU. They beat TCU. TCU's played a lot of really close games in the Big 12. Um, and then Kansas State winning at home against Oklahoma State, kind of holding serve. Just another wild weekend here in the Big 12. Um, it's a meat grinder, and another opportunity presents itself every single game for something crazy to happen. What's the what's the biggest surprise? This, the 17-point comeback from Texas Tech at home or West Virginia winning that game? It's got to be West Virginia beating Kansas. I mean, I've, I've got to be honest. I've completely written them off at this point in the season. I think they've got some bright spots. Kirk Arisa, really good guard. Raekwon Battle, uh, he does not pass. And it is extremely fun to watch because every time he gets the ball on offense, he's just calling his own number. And that's really the only option they have on offense right now. But the more that this team kind of plays together, the better they're starting to look. Now, I would not have expected them to beat Kansas. Uh, but certainly proving, hey, maybe they're still going to be, you know, a headache in the Big 12, which is no surprise. Um, I thought that TCU game was crazy. TCU was getting clobbered for most of that game and then roared back. Uh, UCF making seven shots against Houston in the entire game and still covering, shooting 16% and still covering uh, is pretty crazy. Didn't catch much of the Oklahoma game. Um, and then that Texas, uh, Texas Baylor game, Baylor gets a great shot from Jalen Bridges at the end of the game, Texas runs their most simple press beater. Like it's, it's literally what you learn in middle school basketball guy sets a back screen. You just go straight up the gut and you either hit the corner for the three, or you just take it to the rim. Texas does it works to perfection. They win the game. So yeah, I would say just another day in the big 12. Yeah, and in a game where you had a 17-point deficit, you finished the day with the second greatest margin of victory of any Big 12 game that was played on Saturday. I'm going to ask you all three questions, and you all tell me we can call this segment coincidence or, or not. I was trying to think of something more clever than that. Mark Pope. By, uh, yeah. yeah. 
Mark Pope at BYU has had a double-digit halftime lead 51 times. Do you know what his record is in those games? All right, this is either setting up for 50-1 and one or a bad record. I'm going to go 50-1. and one. I'm going to go 25-26. 49-2. and two. Okay. In 2021, BYU led number one Gonzaga 53 to 41 in the Western Conference, West Coast Conference tournament title game, and they lost that one. And then on Saturday, they led by 16 at halftime, lost 85 78. Coincidence? Or is it a coincidence that we had the second win of that nature in the Mark Pope era or something different? I would go something different. I, I think Texas Tech's really good at home. And I think uh, it's no coincidence that Pop Isaacs responds in a big way and has 32. Um, there's a question in the mailbag that we will read tonight. What happened to Joe Toussaint? Um, box score looks like Joe Toussaint completely disappeared. He's one for 10 from the floor, uh, but makes some pivotal free throws late. Um even right after I was saying, Joe, like, you don't have it tonight. Pass the ball. Give the ball to Pop. Pop should shoot the free throws. Uh, but Joe Toussaint was holding on to it. Uh, but I would say not a coincidence. I, I would just say that was a really good effort from Texas Tech uh, and some great adjustments to win that game. I, I don't think that was a fluke. Yeah, Pop Isaac's playing like an all-conference all player is, is really, really tough to beat. And it's really surprising the lift that he gave this team in the second half. But... I mean, I, I've been saying I think his offensive ceiling is really high. I think this team will go offensively as he goes. Um, I think you're still going to have plenty of nights for the rest of the season where he takes five or six bad shots in a single game, and it kind of makes you scratch your head. But when he scores, you know, 30-plus, plays lights-out defense, shoots well from the field, I think you've just got to hand it to him. So I'll say that uh, credit to Pop Isaacs and really the offense as a whole in the second half. I will go no coincidence. That tidbit was from the voice of the Cougars, whose last name I'm probably about to butcher, Greg Rubel or Rubel. I think there's a silent W at the beginning of that. Greg, I'm terribly sorry if I butchered that. Okay, here's another one. Coincidence or something different? Texas Tech in three different Big 12 games this year. We'll start with Texas and Austin. They bottomed out at a 17% chance to win per BPI mid-game. Kansas State and Lubbock, they bottomed out at a 9% chance to win per BPI. And on Saturday against BYU, bottomed out at a 5% chance to win per BPI. Wind up going 3-0 by a combined margin of victory of 19 points. Coincidence or something different? If it happened once, Kyle, I would say it's a coincidence. If it happened twice, it's a little less likely. Three times, walks like a duck, talks like a duck, quacks like a duck. It's a duck. This team is really good fighting from behind. Um, you've seen teams like that get on heaters. The Cardiac Cats, the, the Panthers back in, what, 2007, uh, won a bunch of close games. They called them the Cardiac Cats. Uh, Kimba Walker, also the Cardiac Cats. I think people just like to call them Cardiac Cats whenever it fits. Uh, but this team is just really good at playing from behind. Uh, again, happens three times. I don't. I don't think it's a fluke anymore. I have no idea, but I don't want there to be a fourth. And it, it really surprises me because uh, 
there's a website I really like to look at analytics on evanmaya.com. He does a lot of great stuff. Um, he had kind of had a graph that picked up some steam this past week, kind of talking about kill shots, which are just 10-0 runs. And Texas Tech gives up a lot of 10-0 runs and does not generate a lot of 10-0 runs. But hey, you know, 8-2, and 9-1, and one, I feel like those are some of the the runs and the sequences that this team can put together really, really quickly. And so even though it may not be that straight 10 and 0, I think the potential is there for this to be an offense that can kind of play with fire. Another tidbit. I said I had three, but we're going to actually extend this to four. Another tidbit from the voice of the Cougars, Greg Rebell. Texas Tech is the first team to shoot 50% or better from the arc against BYU. They went 10 for 20. And the first team with 10 or more free throw attempts to make 90% or more. Tech went 17 of 18. Texas Tech is the first team to score 50 plus points and a half against BYU this season. Coincidence or something different? And before you answer, I'll remind our listeners that BYU right now, one of I think six or seven teams in the country that is Ken Palm top 20 in both offensive and defensive efficiency. This is an elite defensive team. Their three-point shooting gets all the attention. They're very good on defense as well. Coincidence or something different? I'll let you go first here, Money. Well, the free throw shooting is one thing. This is going to end up being Texas Tech's best free throw shooting team in decades, probably. I mean, I think they're at 77% right now, which is top 20 in the country. So it's pretty insane that they're not only shooting the amount of free throws that they're getting, but that they're also making a majority of them. And then to shoot as poorly as you did in the first half, I think it was, you know, 36 percent from deep in the first half, 35 percent from the field. And then turn that around and go 67 percent from deep in the second half is absurd. So I'm going to credit the offense. I'm going to give them their flowers there for, for pulling that one off. I think in the sense that BYU probably won't allow that too many times in the future, I'll go coincidence. Uh, I also don't think you'll see that from Texas Tech uh, every game. You're not going to shoot 50% from three. You probably you know, have seen more 20% games this year from Texas Tech beyond the arc than 50. Um, it all washes out in the mix. I know Kyle loves the hot hand fallacy we talked about all the time. Uh, that could be true or untrue. But I will say this. Free throws are free throws. I mean, you make – I don't think that's a coincidence. Uh, it, there's nothing – they're free for a reason. I mean, you, you go up and make them. I will say on the free throws, the one miss was loud. The front end of a Joe Toussaint one and one with the game still very much in the balance. And if not the most intentional announcer jinx of all time, close to it, because they're like, oh, this is one of the best free throw shooting teams in the country, 77%. Every single guy is over 80% except their big man, Warren Washington. And it all starts with this guy, Joe Toussaint. And then the crowd falls silent. Doink. Clank. It was like, awesome. And we, I think we were up four at that point. We, could, we were like dagger territory if he makes both of those. I was like, I've seen this before. They're going to go hit a three, one-point game, and then we're off. Thankfully, it didn't turn out that way. Um, but, yeah, I, I think I'm with you. I think that's a lot a lot of different things kind of moving together to say, oh, that's just a, a lucky run or a lucky game or – a missed travel call on Joe Toussaint. I think it's more than that. We've got a comment that it's an ethos of fighting. I think that's true. I don't think toughest team wins is bull crap. I think that they believe that they live that they're not going to win every game, 
but I think they're going to make it really hard on others. It's not going to be fun playing us, and they're going to fight like hell. Last one of this segment. The best barbecue I've ever had in my life was at Rihino. Coincidence or something different? I think that's something different, man. It's uh, it's a fact, and it's the best in West Texas. Look, you go once and you have a good slice of brisket. Maybe they just cooked a good brisket. You go twice and you have ribs, turkey, brisket, burger, jalapeno poppers, Texas Twinkies. That's that's beyond just coincidence. That is divine barbecue, and it can be found at Rihino in Olton, Texas, or going all across West Texas in the mobile food truck. Follow them on social at Rihino BBQ. Stay in tune with new menu items, lunch specials, things of that nature. And order head at RihinoBBQ.com to make sure your food is there when you arrive. Shout out to the goats. It'll be the best barbecue you've ever had, and it won't be a coincidence. That's their new tagline. Uh, let's see. There was another question about the game in the mailbag I was going to get to. Um, Man, great radio here. I guess not. Anyways, uh, Joe Toussaint, let's talk a little bit more about him. Um, is it is it a couple of games now in a, a row that I'm – am I dreaming this, that Joe Toussaint's in a bit of a cold snap here uh, the last week, week and a half? Yeah, he's not played well in his last – I think it's three now. Was, was not great against Kansas State. I think he shot three of ten from the field in that one was putting up a ton of shots, but they just weren't quite going in. It was kind of the same story even before that against Oklahoma State, although I thought he was a little bit better in that one. But Houston was a really rough outing. I think that one kind of makes sense because their defense is the best in the country, and they were very deliberate about getting him off his spots, not letting him drive to the basket, which is what he really wants to do. I think Pop really wants to live on the outside, but Joe Toussaint really wants to take that ball in and get it to the basket. Um, and this is this is a tough, tough conference to do that in. And he knows that, obviously, playing at West Virginia. He's played a lot of basketball. Um, this is nothing new to him. But, you know, the last couple of defenses you've run into, especially BYU and Houston, a lot of length, a lot of size, a lot of athleticism. That's going to make your life tough as a guard. But... I don't know how many more games you want to keep playing where he goes, you know, 25% from the field and gets almost all of his scoring from the free throw line, doesn't get a ton of assist and, you know, struggles to to protect the basketball. I think he's got to be a little bit better if Tech wants to keep winning huge Big 12 games. Um, and luckily you just won one of the toughest games on your schedule with him playing like that. But I certainly do think there is something to say about, you know, hey, over this next week that you have off, let's look at the film. Let's see what hasn't been working. Let's try and find you some more spots. I think the thing that makes it really difficult, too, is with Pop, there's a certain degree that he can play off ball. And I almost think he he's almost more efficient when he's off the ball. But that's just not Tucson's game. He's, he's really a pull-up shooter getting to the basket, creating off of drives. And so I think it's just going to be about how this offense can create space around him and how this coaching staff can negate long athletic Big 12 defenses because this is not going to get easier against Oklahoma, TCU, Iowa State. Those are 
pretty much nightmare matchups for your guards. And so I think this is something you want to spend a lot of time on over this next week to try and really figure out how to how to get your guys some open looks. Do you have any other comments on the game, Kyle, uh, before we kind of move on to something adjacent? I guess on the Toussaint conversation, it looks to me, and I usually don't go toward this kind of analysis, that he's just kind of pressing a little bit like he's trying to get a call instead of just playing basketball. And he just needs to trust his game. He's a good ball handler. He's quick. He's strong. It's like get into the lane. You'll get calls throughout the game. But I don't know. A few times it looks like he's been trying to get the call instead of just making the play, whether that's driving, shooting, passing, whatever the case may be. And so, to me, it just lo- looks like a couple off games. Thankfully, you have a guy like Pop that can sort of uh, do more than just pick up the slack. can play a really good game. And there might be a game where Pop, you know, is cold shooting from outside and you need Joe Toussaint to, you know, put up 10 or 12 field goals from inside the lane. And he's capable of doing that when he's playing at his best. Ideally, of course, they're both playing close to their ceiling at the same time. And, you know, that would be very difficult for opposing defenses to defend. So I think he just needs to settle down. I think this midweek buy is coming at a good time. Um, you, you know, you have momentum. You've started four and one, and now you've got two road games coming up. In a lot of ways, I think Norman is a good opportunity. You are going into probably the least advantageous home court advantage in the conference. You have a full week. They don't. You know, they've got a midweek against Texas this week, I believe. So hopefully Joe Toussaint and the rest of the guys can uh, figure some stuff out. I guess that's the last point I'll make through five games. You've played some tough games, and usually we kind of cope with losses by saying, like, well, you can use this as a learning experience, and it's a teachable moment. I feel like we're getting a lot of learning experiences and teachable moments in close wins, which is a huge luxury to have that you get a win on your resume and you kind of experience something unique and can learn from it. So I think this is a good week to sort of put some of that together and really make a run at sealing another road win either in Norman or Fort Worth um, in one of your next two. So I think the bye week is coming out a good time for a guy like Joe Tucson and, and really everybody. Yeah. And you don't really, uh, you have a, a talented roster, but not really a deep roster that you play with. So any breaks you can have a good midweek break here, you play again on Saturday against Oklahoma. Uh, final thoughts on the game before we kind of move on a little bit, buddy. I think Warren Washington returning to form was a huge, huge help for you. Um, Obviously, Houston made his life as difficult as possible, but I think he really needed to have this one under his belt going into an Oklahoma game where they've got two absolute units on the interior who they can just kind of rotate through. I think that's going to be the matchup to watch on Saturday, but to kind of get him back into rhythm and get him scoring, get him active around the glass, playing good defense – he looks really athletic, really conditioned, and just is leading the team in minutes in conference play right now as a true big, which is crazy. I, I doubt it's the way this team wanted it to go. You would ideally like to have some relief for him coming off the bench, but the fact that he's given you 35-plus really, really high-level minutes a game is insane. All right. Uh, I do want to move on just a little bit. Now, again, we usually do the mailbag here in this kind of new world phase five, phase six, whatever we're doing now. Uh, that We do the mailbag on Wednesday nights on the Patreon-only episode, patreon.com slash gambling gauchos. That's the bulk of the mailbag. 
but I wanted this one to be public in the universe. So I have some thoughts on it. Uh, you both might sit this out. You both might pile on. I don't know. Uh, but has anyone been ratioed into oblivion harder than Chris Walsh tonight? Uh, no. And my thought on it here is that that guy just needs to keep Texas Tech out of his mouth. If you don't know who Chris Walsh is, uh, he was involved in the NIL side of Texas Tech basketball last year. It all went to crap. It was a bad situation. He's moved on from, he feels slighted, and he has been talking incessant trash about Texas Tech. He's blocked everyone who talks about him on Twitter. This is the tweet in the middle of the game, up 16, BYU. This is what happens when you start playing real teams, cactus emoji, dumb, embarrassed, hand-in-front-of-face emoji that teenage girls use. You get embarrassed, he finishes. 637 comments, 170 retweets slash quote tweets, 50 likes, an all-time ratio to this bum. Quit talking about Texas Tech. Just move on with your life. Go be a fake agent at Wisconsin and get in scandals. Go work with your American athletes. Whatever you want to do, just move on from Texas Tech. You were burned because you did a bad job. Move on. It's ridiculous this guy is still hanging on to it. Uh, and I know, I guess, the algorithm plays, and you want to be controversial, so you're going to tweet stuff out. You you don't do anything but look like a bum, Chris Wash. Move on. I don't know if you guys want to have any thoughts here, or we could just uh, also move on from Chris Wash. I think a good principle for everyone to remember, basketball games are 40 minutes long. Hey, if you want to bring some heat after 40 minutes, bring it. But uh, leaving leaving 20 minutes out out to dry and hoping those swing in your favor is a is a risky move. And obviously, that tweet garnered a lot of attention. I understand why. It's like moss to a to a lamp at this point. But there was a lot of really bad takes happening last night around halftime. Oh, Grant McCaslin getting totally out coach. This team doesn't want to play. They're flat. You know, they don't care. You just got to let basketball games play out at times. BYU running a completely different offense than anything Tech has seen this year. They're running essentially a, an NBA style offense with a very capable big man initiating their offense. You just got to sometimes it's okay to leave things in the drafts. I think you pretty much covered it, Rob. There's like really no reason for this guy to be tweeting unless he's a glutton for punishment. Um, I mean, I, I would think after you, I don't know, like embarrassing things can happen to people online. One of the most embarrassing things I've ever seen happen to somebody online was Chris Wash and his NIL agency. Um texting a player and saying, I'll Venmo you $100 if you tweet such and such. And the player just screenshots the text exchange and posts a picture of it, thinking that's how he was going to get $100. It, I mean, it's just hard to kind of put into words how desperate and pathetic that looks. And yet, when that was over with, he could have had a moment of introspection and say, you know what? These people are going to flame me if I keep going after them. And instead, he just 
keeps going back and I, I don't know why I um I, th- I think it's probably reached Jeff Goodman levels of like just ignore the guy um he probably gets some sort of kick out of it like even when he's getting ratioed and he's the one who looks bad I, I think he just I guess needs that attention or or whatever so I, I would probably just ignore him but I also get why I mean, he says very derogatory things about Texas Tech all the time, so I get why our fans want to respond. Um, but I think you also kind of fan the flames. Like, there's a reason Jeff Goodman keeps baiting Texas Tech fans because they take the bait. Like, uh, fishermen don't use bait that doesn't work. And so if you want it to really stop, then you could just ignore it. Or if you want to argue with them, then that that's your prerogative and you can keep doing that and, you know, whatever. But – I, th- I think you pretty much covered it, Rob. All right, we'll move on then. He will never be mentioned again on this podcast. Um, unless Jeff Goodman wants to come back on the show. I, I doubt we mention him again either. Uh, all right, I, pretty much all we have tonight. I, I don't know that we uh, have too much more again. Uh, bye week in the midweek for Texas Tech basketball. So they have a uh, Saturday game against Oklahoma coming up. Uh, any other tidbits or uh, things you want to talk about we're going to be out of here within an hour i think tonight yeah we'll have another episode this week on patreon i guess we'll go wednesday night perhaps we'll preview oklahoma do the mailbag at that point and any other shenanigans y'all want to get in so if you want to be part of that join us on patreon patreon.com slash gambling gauchos it's only five bucks a month you get one podcast a week access to the discord server some written content mainville you've been pretty much every game You've got final thoughts, win or lose. Love that. So if you enjoy Mainville's takes on basketball, which I don't think you'd be listening to this if you didn't, you get more of that on the Patreon. So we'd love to have you as a parlay picador. Um, do have a couple final thoughts and tidbits. None of them should take that long. But first, I want to give a shout out to our friends over at Barnett Howard and Williams Law Firm, bhwlawfirm.com. Basically friends of the show. I know they've only been on once, but we also did like a tailgate with them and we'll call them friends of the show. Uh, they did a segment with us a couple of weeks back on Title IX process. Still think that's a very informative piece of information for people that want to learn more. But they are one of the best law firms in the state of Texas, one of the only law firms in the state that is certified for Title IX student litigation. They also do catastrophic injury, criminal defense. I don't know if they do NIL deals, if you want to go around the NIL agents out there, if you just want to have an attorney look over the contract, they can probably do that for you too and uh, not embarrass you online while they do it. BHWLawFirm.com, if you want to learn more, they hope you never need them, but they are in your corner if you do. How about this, fellas? There was a time, um, we're going to take it back to spring of 2023, when we were trying to bring Sean Miller home. We were trying to bring Scott Drew home. I think half of the coaches in Division One basketball at one point were campaign for to be brought home by the Gambling Gauchos Twitter account. Ultimately, where we landed toward the end of the NIT was that we wanted Grant McGasland with a G, Coach Gas. This was in the early ages of AI image generation, and I got a creepy picture of a basketball coach in a red suit holding what kind of looks like a gas can and then photoshopped Grant's face on it, added a gas pump, and a meme was born. And we've got institutional adoption, my friends, because Kellen Buffington, 
the GM of Texas Tech men's basketball, after the BYU win, he tweets two words, Grant McGasland. So in nine months, we went from crappy AI <laughs> meme to institutional adoption. As our friend John Rossi would say, it spreads. Proud moment for the Gambling Gauchos podcast. Yeah, and I don't know that that was uh, well-received initially, that uh, the gas nickname, but it certainly has stuck, and I, I love it. I uh, I think it spreads, you know, like a gas bar. Got gas tank emojis in the replies. Love it. Um, Let's see. I think my final thought, this was cool. We don't cover a lot of Texas Tech track on here, but this is I, – uh, I butched Greg Rebell's name earlier. I'm not going to try this one. I'm, I'm going to make you Google this. But a Texas Tech freshman high jumper, she went 1.96 meters, which for those of our listeners in America, that's about 6 foot 5 inches uh, in the high jump. That's a school record. It is, she's the world leader this track season, and it's third all time in the NCAA. She's a freshman. And I think, I mean, it's January, so it must be early in their track season, if I had to guess. This is probably like her second time, second meet to jump at. And we're already school record, world lead, third all time in the NCAA. It's insane. And uh, Rodney Blackshear, Marcus Coleman, they're replying to the video of her clearing six foot five. Pretty cool to have some football legends from a couple decades ago chime in and celebrate that jump because that's insane. And we also want to give a shout out to one of our biggest listeners, my mother-in-law, former world champion high jumper herself. And that was also a few decades ago. She probably won't mind me saying that. And I Googled her when I saw that this this gal jumped 6'5". I was like, I wonder what my mother-in-law did back in the day. And I uh, found online she did two meters, which is between 6'6 six, six and 6'7. Six, but it was like 1988 or 1989. And I went to dinner with her today. And I, di- I didn't know if she would remember, like if it was one of those moments that you remember for the rest of your life as an athlete or if she was like, oh, I don't know. You know, that was 40 years ago. So I asked her, I, I told her, I was like, this freshman girl at Tech just hit 6'5. You know, do you remember what your personal best was? And she goes, 6'6 six, six and three quarters, like that. I was like, okay, you do remember. So she could jump over Michael Jordan for reference. He was six, six and uh, she was two time indoor and two time outdoor national champion in the United States. And this freshman at Texas tech is like an inch and a half below that height right now. So just incredible stuff. Like I said, I know we don't normally don't talk track on here, but um, pretty insane stuff going on in that part of the athletic department. As happens every spring, the Texas Tech track and field program, men's and women's, has been uh, hot down the stretch. Uh, the men's program winning a couple of Big 12 championships and a national championship in the last five years. Absolutely. With the I, goat, I, would guess goat we'll have, I would guess we'll have some Olympians this summer in 2024. Um, I don't know if, I don't know when like the qualifications are, but you know, between Divine Oduduru some other runners we've had, jumpers, uh, just seems like that's almost a staple now that there's at least one or two Red Raiders representing some country in the Olympics. So I'll look forward to that. I need to do my homework to see who potentially qualified or, or will qualify for what. I keep forgetting it's an Olympic year. Uh, didn't they? Because they postponed and did the last one late, yeah? Wasn't it in 2020? 
one or two? It was in 21 because of COVID. Right. And then we had a November World Cup, which is usually in the summer. And so the kind of like the global sporting events that usually take place in summer of even number of years have been off the last few years. And I guess we're we're back on track now. You an Olympic guy, what's your favorite Olympic sport? I love the Olympics. I got really into it when um, Michael Phelps. I mean, I remember watching the Sydney Olympics when I was seven with my mom. And shoot, I think Michael Phelps was even in that Olympics. He was like 16 and he did a couple of events, but I loved track and field. I grew to love swimming when Michael Phelps was dominating Olympics after Olympics. Um, I remember being just shocked. I think it was 2004 when the men's Olympic basketball team lost to Argentina. I think it was to Argentina. We got bronze. And I'm just thinking, like, how in the world did Kobe Bryant, Tim Duncan, those guys, I don't know. It's like the world is so small. And I know Europe has good basketball, but your world when you're 11 years old is so small. You're like, how did our superstars not win gold? And, like, you kind of grow up and you're like, yeah, they don't really care that much. <laughs> um, and you had the redeem team. Yeah. So, so yeah, I love the Olympics. I'll, I'll watch pretty much anything. There's a couple that I, you know, like when they do rifle shooting, I – I don't know, but like gymnastics, swimming, track, any of that, I'm all about it. Yeah, I like the wrestling and like the judo, that kind of stuff as well, the blue mats. One of the coolest events last year was the uh, men's 400-meter hurdles. Uh, the guy who won was from Norway, world record. The guy who got silver was an American, also broke what was previously the world record. The bronze medalist ran the fourth fastest time of all time. So three of the four fastest times were in the 400 meter hurdles last year. And then the fourth was the previous world record. So all three just legendary performances, all three probably would have won gold, like in any other race of their lives. I mean, it's just amazing. So that was the one that stuck out to me from 2021. When are you an Olympics guy? You uh, carry the torch? Not, not a huge Olympics guy. I will say, I love the basketball and I love that there is something on TV at pretty much any hour for an extended amount of time that rules. And so while I wouldn't say like I'm dialed in trying to watch every Olympic event, I love that there's always like good background sports on. I can appreciate that. I think that's part of what I like about it is like, I don't even know what half of these sports are, but I tune in and they're like, all right, we're on the, the men's balance beam. And I'm like, okay, like I, and then they're just doing like backflips and stuff. Like, okay, this is insane. I would say honestly, gymnastics, like of all there's levels to my inability as an average Joe of like not being capable of doing certain sports. Like I can shoot a three point. I can't make it, but I can at least like understand how that's done. And I could go out there and, you know, go 12%, but balance beam and stuff like that. It was like it doesn't compute. I couldn't walk across it, much less do a handstand and a cartwheel and a backflip on it. And so, you know, it's off season for like every other sport at that point in the year, for the most part. I guess baseball is kind of in the dog days of summer. And I just like tuning in and kind of like learning about a new sport, just marveling at the randomness of some of it and like how insanely good you have to be at that level. And most Olympic sports, I'm like, yeah, I couldn't. There's no way I could do that. Whereas I scream at the TV all the time. I'm like, oh, I could have caught that pass or <laughs> stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, that's part of the fascinating part to me is like I don't even know what I'm watching half the time. 
All right, uh, new segment. I, I've wanted to start doing this more trivia. We've done trivia before. I usually ask the questions. Kyle knocks them out of the park. Uh, we we did for a stretch in the off season. Name every team in this conference that uh, Kyle enjoyed. I want you to give me the top five, and you both can chime in. The top five medal winners, country by country. Let's do gold medals. So who's won the ghost the the most gold medals? Per country in the Summer Olympics all time. Give me the five countries. United States. Number one, wide margin. Are we combining East Germany, West Germany under the flag of just Germany? We are, but it's not in the top five. Oh, really? Well, they they aren't combined, which is why it's not in the top five. Okay. I said that wrong. Um, China. Number four. Japan. Not in the top five. United Kingdom. Great Britain. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. That's what I meant. Yeah. Number three. Um, So you're missing two and five. So, um, okay. I've got a few guesses here. Really good at swimming. Not good at anything else. Australia. Not in the top five. Okay. Really good at track. Cusp in the top ten. Jamaica. Not there. Not in the top 20. Russia. Soviet Union, number two. I mean, how far back does this go? Like Greece? Greece is not in the top 10. It's one more. Yeah, I should have guessed Russia a long time ago. Yeah, there's one more. The top five, it's the fifth. I'm going to feel like an idiot once you tell us. Yeah. Uh, Like Canada. I don't know. Not Canada. Got a, a red, white, and blue flag. France? France. That fifth. Okay. With uh, 223 gold medals. Can you venture a guess at how many gold medals the United States has? Oh. I think I've read stuff that, like, if Michael Phelps was his own country, he'd be, like, 23rd all time among all countries. So, I mean... Gosh, how many did you say France had? 223. And they're fifth? They're fifth. I'll say we have I'll I'll say we have 1,500. 1,061. Okay. Next highest, uh, the Soviet Union with 395 and only nine Olympics. Another, I can't remember if it was the women's marathon or the women's triathlon. I think it was women's triathlon. I don't even remember the island that this woman was from, but the population was like 70,000 of that entire country. And I looked it up and it was basically like if San Angelo as a city had its own Olympic delegation and somebody from San Angelo beat everybody else in the world. (laughs) Uh, All right. That was fun. Uh, The Soviet Union. uh, Also number two in total medals. So there you go. It's really funny to look at the discrepancy. I guess the United States and like probably Great Britain and France, maybe the outliers here, but the discrepancy in medals between summer and winter, like following, I followed Norway. And if we win like 10 medals in the summer Olympics, it's a miracle. Like you have a swimmer gets third place here, a runner gets second place there. And you kind of, and then winter, you know, it's all like skiing and stuff. And so all of a sudden like Norway and Canada are, these just 
heavy hitters in the Winter Olympics. It's kind of funny. Number one country in the the Winter Olympics is is, is it Norway? It's Norway, four hundred and five medals. Look at us; those are my people. There you go. You want a couple of more there? Can you get the top five in the Winter Olympics? <laughs> um, some crossover here. I, I feel like Germany, in some form or fashion, is up there. Germany's third. Uh, United States. Second. I- Italy. No. You had one it's, that you named in the summer, but was not a Summer Olympics, but it is a Winter Olympics. Was it Mainville's Japan? No, but it was Mainville's. What else did you guess, Money? Canada. Canada. Oh, yeah, duh. I, I thought we already said I, that. I don't think you'll get four. It's an odd. It's an odd. Uh, I, I honestly didn't know this country was doing it like that. Oh, I don't think it's the one you're going for, but I'm sure Russia is up there or the Soviets. The Soviets are six. Um, what similar country would vein. I not guess? Similar vein there to the to the Soviets. How's about? Well, I was going to say Switzerland. There's seven. Hmm. Sorry, Sweden. Jamaica. Cool runnings. <laughs> Austria. Um, Austria. I don't think we would have gotten there. Yeah. One of my favorite Olympic moments. This was hilarious. He was a speed skater from Australia. I think his last name was Bradbury. I think this was about 02. And he was basically, he was like, you know, that's, that's a sport that you can't really make a lot of money doing. And so he, I don't know what he did, like sold insurance and then speed skated on the side. And he was getting old for a professional speed skater and like he knew he wasn't very good, um, but he qualified for the Olympics in Australia and he reached like the quarterfinals and he was like, okay. So for those who don't know speed skating, there's four guys, I think four guys in every race. And then I guess like two advance and then maybe additional certain number with the fastest time. So like go to the next round, he makes the quarterfinals and he's like, I'm not as good as any of these guys. I don't have a chance. But what's also common in speed skating is at the end, guys get tangled and they fall and slide. And, like, basically, if you're the only guy who doesn't crash, you can win almost by default. And so he was like, I'm just going to skate a quarter of a lap behind these guys and make sure I finish on my feet. And I made the Olympics. Like, who cares? Quarterfinals, everybody falls. He goes through. Same strategy for the semifinals. He's like, I'm not as good as these guys. I can't beat them. I'm just going to hang back. Same thing happens. Three guys fall. He's through to the finals. <laughs> he's like on the cusp of getting a medal if he can get top three. Same strategy. He's like, I'm just going to ride behind these guys. They fall. He wins the gold medal. He's like not anywhere near the best skater in the world. <laughs> and he said he was like even conflicted. He's like, should I go out there and take the gold medal? Like, I know I'm not the best skater in the world. And then he kind of talked himself into He's like, I put in a lot of work. I almost died doing this. Um, so I'm going to go accept the gold medal. And they even have an expression in Australia now. It's called pulling a Bradbury when you like don't really try and you still find success. So he's yeah. one of my favorite Olympians of all time as well for how he won the gold medal in speed skating. All right. If you, let's say you win the lottery tomorrow and you can quit your job and dedicate your life to a pursuit. And I gave you till 2028. What could you qualify for the Olympics in? Handball be summer or winter handball as a as a teammate on a handball team yes okay that's where they put the sticky stuff all over their hands and are diving around like idiots 
Yeah, I don't even know the rules. I'd have to learn up on that. I think you like can't be touching the ground or something when you have the ball. Yeah. But yeah, it's basically like trying to throw a ball past a goalie into a net to score points. But like I have a good arm. I'm good at dodgeball and stuff like that. I'm coordinated. It seems a little bit like it's kind of like a football, basketball, soccer hybrid in terms of how you move about the court. I think I could get legitimately good at that. It doesn't take – I don't think – I don't want to insult any professional handball players out there. It doesn't look like it takes premier athleticism. Like I, I could try as hard as I wanted to say like soccer or basketball to their response. Like I just can't do it because I'm not six six and fast. But I think I could do handball. Money, what would you go for? I want to say table tennis just because it seems like the most feasible, even though I'm terrible at ping yeah. pong. I'm but so it's bad. Life, it's it's your life now, though. That sounds amazing. Just but grinding ping pong. Instead of like the, the half table like this, just playing by yourself. Man, like archery or something. Archery. Stand still and shoot the target. Or uh, walking. Have you all seen that sport in the Summer Olympics? The speed walking? Yeah, I think um, only one foot or yeah. one foot, at least one foot has to be on the ground at all times, which obviously doesn't happen when you're running. Yeah. So that's when I'm like, I've never done it like they do it. So I'm like, surely you don't run out of energy walking. And I'm also, I'm saying this as a guy who got a B in walking class at Texas Tech. So uh, stones and glass houses. But I feel like it doesn't take an elite LeBron James level athlete to go do walking. Have you seen the... Uh, Malcolm in the Middle episode where Hal is a speedwalker. No, <laughs> so good. It's so good. Uh, all right, that's uh, that's all I have, I guess. We got to an hour. Got to keep our streak alive. Look at us. Money any uh, final Olympics thoughts? <laughs> Absolutely not. I do wonder if they uh, – is the flag football thing for sure, or is that still a possibility? Oh, for the Olympics? Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, uh, I, I have heard of that. I don't know. I couldn't remember oh. if that was if that was official or if that was just being discussed. That would be interesting, though. Yeah, because uh, Tyree Kill was wanting to play in it. Yeah, some of the NFL stars. Could you imagine like, if be- we actually – if we went 1992 basketball dream team and oh, football be- against the rest of the world, like Mahomes and Tyreek Hill playing like Lithuania in flag football. Oh my God, it would be unreal. How, how would you even like set as from the gambling angle? Like, how would you even set odds on something like that? If you said, hey, Poland has a flag football team and they're going up against like Mahomes, Mike Evans, Tyreek Hill, Justin Jefferson. I wonder if there's like a roster limit to where you're playing both ways. Like, is Tyreek Hill also playing corner? Like, safety. if he is, who cares? <laughs> like, it doesn't matter. But I just wonder. I wonder what the limitations are there. I feel like it, the talent oh, would be Mario, so. Cons- Mario says coming in 2028. Okay, the talent would be so consolidated at the U.S. that anybody with like one eighth German ancestry would be like, all right, I'm going to go play for the Germans. Like some backup journeyman NFL quarterback would be like their starter. Yeah. That'd be the only way to spread it around. Yeah, that would be unreal. Uh, pickleball, I'm sure, is coming too if it uh, continues its steam. Yeah. You have pickleballer money? I think I played twice. 
which there's is enough four. for me to feel like that might be my my second pick besides <laughs> besides table tennis. Yeah, it's like table tennis adjacent. Yeah. There's a company owned by Ian Kinsler, uh, Warstick. Here's its bats, but they also do pickleball equipment. And like all these people I went to college with are somehow involved with Warstick and are like Warstick models. And I have no idea what's going on. I can't figure it out. I'm sure, I could ask around, but it's like the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Shout out to them. Shout out to Warstick. Do you have a, a thought to leave us on here, Kyle? Yeah, hit us up on Patreon for the midweek episode. We'll have a lot of fun in the Matador Transit mailbag over there. In the meantime, just remember, friends, it doesn't matter how slowly you go as long as you don't stop. Mm-hmm. I love it. All right. We'll see you uh, Wednesday. Love you all.